We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? It is your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And we are back with another episode of Seahawks Man to Man, powered by The Athletic. We got Mike Dugard down in, not Atlanta, but he's in Miami, South Beach. Mike, man, what is up? I did fly into Atlanta first, if that for, for the people who want to get some ATL love on the show. But I'm feeling all right. I watched a little bit of that Heat game uh, in a bar with uh, some Heat fans, and that was uh, an experience. <laughs> experience indeed. The Seahawks do end up beating the Miami Dolphins 31-23 down in South Beach on Sunday morning for us in Seattle. Afternoon for Michael, who again is down in Miami. But let's just talk about this game. Let's get right into it. For starters, I do want to give a shout-out to that defense because today they didn't give up a touchdown until until the last few minutes of the game, but ultimately they held the Miami Dolphins, which is not a good football team by too many standards, but they held them to field goals for the majority of the game. Let's just talk about this red zone defense and what we saw today from this unit, even with all these key injuries, with Jamal Adams being out, a couple of other inactives today. Let's talk about this defense in the red zone and what they're able to do against this offense. So, I mean, I've, Chris, I'm going to go on a little tangent real quick, but you're about to follow me, I, I'm sure. I've lived with two girlfriends before, right? And when you you live with a with a woman or anyone that you're, like, in a relationship with, the relationship, you got to bring something equal to the table, right? Like, she cook, you do the dishes. You cook, she do the dishes. Like, she do the laundry, uh, you vacuum. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's got to be some some partnership involved with the relationship with the housekeeping or just whatever, you know? So like most people who are, who are listening to the show, get what I'm saying. There's some give and take, right? There's some, there's some like collaboration involved. The Seahawks didn't have that two, three weeks. The offense was cooking and doing the dishes. The offense was vacuuming, checking the mail, walking the dog, hmm. scooping the poop, making the bed. Like, the, the, the offense was doing everything. And the defense was kind of like, I mean, I changed the trash bag. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. Like, they was doing the, the minimum stuff. Like, oh, I'll, you know, rub your feet or something like that. It was like the bare minimum just to be like, you know, I'm in this relationship too. 
I've had been waiting for them to take out the trash themselves. Like, mm-hmm. I've been waiting for them to, you know, do the dishes. You know, I, I've been waiting for a defense to basically, you know, bring something to the table in this relationship. And today, they actually did. Now, the, the degree of difficulty wasn't high. Cause like you said, Miami's not a good team. But it was mostly just, like, um, the optics of the situation, to be honest. It doesn't matter if, like, you cooked and there wasn't that many dishes. If you just go and do them, put them in the dishwasher and the kitchen's clean by the time we all go to bed, then you did your job, right? It doesn't matter if we just made pasta and ain't that many dishes. That was the Seahawks defense today. It was oh. like, yo, Ryan Fitzpatrick's bad. We're going to make him look bad. And that's the point. The offense had its, like, moments where it was, like, carrying the team, then it wasn't, and then at the end, they kind of picked it up. But in between, the defense was like, look, we ain't going to give up no touchdowns. So as long as you guys hold up your end of the bargain, we're going to hold up ours. And it was, like, the first time this year that the Seahawks offense and the Seahawks defense had, like, a legit 50-50 split and a contribution to the team's win. Is that you? See, you see how I kind of went off a little bit. Do you get what I'm saying, though, Chris? Yeah, and the fact that you called it a tangent—that's not even a tangent, man. That was a good analogy of how things just went today. That was perfect. That was spot on. And as you mentioned, the defense—they really lived up and matched what the Seahawks' offense was bringing for the most part. I mean, I just think as a collective unit, and I mentioned previous earlier on the show about the injuries that were take that have taken place, and you're not you don't have Jamal Adams out there, you don't have Quentin Dunbar. I mean, these are key guys to this defense, and the Seahawks ultimately for through three quarters didn't allow a single touchdown. And you're probably listening, saying, "Well, Chris, it was the Miami Dolphins, yeah." And you know what? That's the NFL team, and their objective is to score score a touchdown. I mean, it's not easy to do that, and the Seahawks really did that on Sunday, and I thought that was really cool today. And they also, for the most part, I think, I mean, the, we won't see the pressures yet, but I they were getting after and chasing Ryan Fitzpatrick around. I know he got out of the pocket a few times and was able to scramble, but the Seahawks really were getting after the quarterback today. I know Brian uh, Monet and who was it? Anthony Rush. Anth- yep, Rush combined for a sack today. That was good. And I think when the team gets healthy, I mean, guys can get banged up all year, but when the team is, you know, as close to as healthy as possible, I mean, this pass rush really could be something special. It's unfortunate that you lose Bruce Irvin earlier in the season, but guys are stepping up, and this is what you want to see. I mean, Shaquem Griffin, he got his opportunity to play today, and he was all over the field yet again, and it was just good seeing this unit have a little confidence and a little swagger. I, I saw that swagger today. Did you see that swagger, Mike? I mean, yeah, it's definitely a lot easier to show when you win. Um, but you know, the more important thing, so like we've talked about on the show, the, the relationship between the pass rush and the secondary and like how, which one's more important, like having a good, like defensive back unit or having a good D line. And I think today is a good example of what I thought would always be the case with this team. Like, I think they had like 12 passes defense or something like that. That's a dozen, right? And they only had one sack but they didn't give up any points. And the big part of that is quarterbacks are going to get the ball out. It's 2020. Very few people outside of Deshaun Watson are holding it that long. Like, let's just be honest. Most quarterbacks aren't holding the ball that long. They're getting it out. You need to have a plan if you get rid of the ball. Okay, so what happens? What, Shaq had, what, three pass breakups, including a pick? Yep. Uh, Ryan Neal had... Two, I think two or two. Yeah, two. Someone and an interception. Uh, uh, KJ, KJ Wright. I think KJ had three. Yep. Um, Bobby had one. Uh, Ryan Neal had two. Cody Barton had uh, one, which someone, caused a pick. 
yeah, like that is how you build a good pass defense. It's not like, yes, obviously sacks are great, but they are such an anomaly in the scope of a game that your efficiency will actually be increased if you have a better plan of attack for what happens when they release the ball. Yep. Um, because, I mean, like today's a really good example. Again, they had, what, Ryan Fitzpatrick had 45 pass attempts. I think he had probably like 50 dropbacks total or something like that, including scrambles and sacks. So of those 50, let's say he had, um, if you get the ball, if you get your hands on the ball 25% of the time, which I think they did in terms of the pass breakups, that is, you're, that's more sustainable than like a, like saying, oh, let's sack him eight times. Yep. No, you're not going to do that. You're, you're going to be able to get your hands on the ball, though, right, if you're in the right positions. So I think today was a good example of the potential and kind of what I'm thinking when I think of like, oh, the Seahawks have really efficient pass defense. Because also, Chris, they didn't allow a passing touchdown. Yeah. yeah, they gave up a garbage time touchdown, but it was on the ground because it was really hard to throw into the end zone because when it came down to it, they got their hands on balls, whether it was on screen passes. KJ had a breakup. Shaq had a breakup in the end zone. Two breakups in the end zone, actually. Um, when I think of an efficient pass defense, I think of you getting your hands on the ball more than I do sacks because sacks are so rare. A team could drop back 40 times. You sack them twice. It's a good game. That's two out of 40 dropbacks, right? Like, you, what happens when you get your hands on the ball? And that's that's going to be far more frequent. So I thought from that perspective, irregardless of the quality of the opponent, this is kind of the formula that I had foreseen in the in the preseason when I said the, the Seahawks can have, like, an efficient pass defense. Well, yeah, to that point, it was efficient today, and ultimately it led to two turnovers, and it just they just had – Fitzpatrick, I would say, uncomfortable. I don't think he was too comfortable in that pocket today. And that just goes to the point of the Seahawks pass rush putting pressure on him, making him feel like, ooh, I don't have this time here. I got to get the ball out early. And turnovers and turnovers today was key. The Seahawks had two of them. And we talked off wax about this, of course. But this is a team that they have the talent to get them, and they're doing it. And I think they're only going to get better. I mean, they had two today, and we mentioned the interceptions. They also had a forced fumble by K.J. Wright. They didn't recover it, but this team is just figuring out ways to get the ball back for Russell Wilson. And when they play against better teams, that's going to be key. They're able to create big plays, momentum-shifting plays, where they get their offense back on the field, and if Russ is going to continue to play out of his mind, I mean, this is a scary team to look out. And I saw Prez, a.k.a. or I should say his real name, Jamal Adams, aka Prez, tweet out, "We ain't, even, we don't even have Philip Dorsett or flashback in Josh Gordon, and our offense is looking like this. I mean, that's that's a very good point." Uh, yeah, no, uh, Jamal Adams usually makes good points when he speaks. I do like uh, Jamal Adams for that. Him live tweeting all the games today was very entertaining. Like he was going beyond um, just, just the Seahawks games. But, like, even if they don't get, like, a ton better, I do think this is what they can learn from the most is just the, just the formula, man. Like, acknowledge teams are going to get the ball out. Like, they're going to get yards. It's the NFL. Unless you play the Jets, teams are going to move the ball. But this is kind of – like, I'm right now I'm currently watching um, Carson Wentz versus Nick Mullins, which is not a heavyweight quarterback battle. But what they're doing is moving the ball. Right, because quarterbacks are more are, are elusive. Like Jalen Hurts is taking a snap right now as I speak at quarterback, actually, which is kind of crazy. Um, 
and, and guys just can move, right? They don't, sacks are hard to get, and they're, oh, wow, Jalen actually botched the snap. That was terrible. Uh, quarterbacks can move, right? And the sacks are a quarterback stat for the most part. So it's all dependent on who you're facing. If you are nasty when the ball comes out, that's that's your way to success. And I think, like, uh, we wanted to give a shout-out to KJ Wright on this show. Like, that's where KJ deserves some credit. Like, how many pass breakups you say KJ had? KJ, he had, Chris, three? he had three pass breakups today and a forced fumble, and he had, I want to say, he had six tackles today as well. And so, like, so, I'm, like, I'm okay, here comes another tangent. This is the KJ tangent. We've talked about KJ and Jordan Brooks on the show before, and I think it is very important to note that I have never necessarily questioned how talented someone like Jordan Brooks is, right? I have always thought it was going to be very hard to beat out someone like KJ because KJ is very smart. Like, I I tweeted it during the game. KJ Wright knows when screen passes are coming. Mm. That's not the only thing he knows, but he just knows when plays are coming, right, because he's smart. He's been in the league for 10 years. There's only so many offenses he hasn't seen. There's only so many schemes he hasn't seen. If he knows what's coming, he has the ability to get there. And when you're on defense, Chris, you put even if like you play a lot of flag football, right? Like if you know what's coming, it's so much easier to defend it because you're not reacting, you're anticipating, and you're not like reading and then okay, and then take a plant foot and then go. You're like, oh, I know this ball is going to the right, so let me just sprint over there. So like that this that that makes the difference when the difference between like a tackle for loss and a big game could be like a split second. KJ can anticipate stuff because he's seen everything. So they like today was a perfect example. Like you think KJ just like made like ridiculously athletic plays in some of these? I mean, maybe once or twice. For the most part, he knows where that ball's going. Yep. He knows the tendencies. He knows when you send your tight end in motion in this formation and this down and distance, the ball will probably go here. Like that's KJ's how his brain works. Bobby's like that too. It's the same reason that, uh, I think we talked about this when they beat Cam Newton in week two. Bobby knew before the snap, hey, the ball's going to the right. So let's just do everything over there and stop the play. KJ is built that same way. That's why when Jamal Adams was like, hey, KJ, I'm going to leap the pile on this. KJ was like, sure. <laughs> because KJ didn't see that that was coming. The same thing, all these screens, the ball that KJ nearly picked in the end zone. Like, KJ is a smart player. And even if Jordan Brooks has like 4-4 four, four speed or whatever, or Cody Barton maybe is just like a faster player or whatever, whatever young guys they bring in, you can't coach experience eventually you just got to see things and that's where kj has a big step on a lot of these other dudes it doesn't mean he won't get beat it doesn't mean he won't make mistakes it don't mean he won't blow coverages that just means that he's gonna do right more often than the other guys because he's seen it all and i think today was probably the best example of that yeah you hit it right on the head man and you've talked about it before in articles and your excuse me in your stories and on the pod about how smart KJ is and the fact that he's able to read things before they happen. And you mentioned the screen. I mean, that play was just incredible. He knew it was coming, and he made a play on the ball. There you have it. And then also he destroyed, I forget the receiver's name, but he went over the – he came across the middle. KJ knew it was coming, and he just gave him a cold little shoulder tap, let him know, I'm I here, young. Isaiah Ford. Yeah, name, yep, believe. Isaiah Ford, yep. And he let the young fellow know that I'm right here, bro. I'm going to be here all day. And he was just – he was what – I expected KJ to be. Everyone was asking, oh, should the Seahawks just, since they drafted 
Jordan Brooks, who runs this, who 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 is supposed to be really smart, is he going to take KJ's spot? And personally, I didn't believe that was the case because KJ's been doing this for 10-plus years, and he knows the Seahawks defense, and he's gone up against these teams. He's seen the offense. He knows what to look for. And to put a rookie out there and say he's going to be your starter, I mean, that's 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 going to be tough, and that's a challenge. And I'm sure Jordan was all for that challenge and expected to be starting, but ultimately we see how this is going to go, and it's, it's KJ's spot, period. And he proved why he is the starting linebacker for that position, and he just keeps showcasing it, and I think he's only going to get better. I mean, he had a really good season last year. Well, based off today, I think it's going to continue on to this season. And you know who else is really good today? Who's that? Russell freaking Wilson. Although he did throw one pick, Overall, I thought he played a really outstanding game, and he, he controlled the tempo today. And the Seahawks are still letting him cook. DK had four catches for 106 yards. David Moore stepped up and played big today. Ty Lockett had a quiet day, but, I mean, for the most part, Russell Wilson still was able to control the game with his arm. And I thought that he did a, a really good job of that today. And he just kept his defense fresh, and the offense was hitting on all cylinders for the most part, man. Yeah, I thought today was a good challenge for Russ because, like, this is another one of those things that, like, I think I benefit from being at the game where, like, everyone else who is also covering it is on TV. Um, Xavier Howard was playing well, man, on DK. Like, I think there were legitimately, like, maybe, like, five or six times Russ dropped back and looked right at DK <laughs> and Xavier Howard bear-hugged his dude. Yes. And, and, and Russ was like, you know what? I can't throw over there. Yep. You know, and then what happens when Russ did throw over there late or off his back foot? It wasn't late. Interception. Uh, yeah, he got he got intercepted by uh by Xavier Howard. So I I think that this was a good test for him actually because he's not gonna throw five touchdowns a week. Like people people were asking us on the show like, yo, can Russ keep this up? Hell no, no man. <laughs> Russ ain't like God, right? Like Russ isn't gonna throw five touchdowns every week, but Russ can be really good. Russ can be really good, and I think some of it the difference between like. Um, some of Russ's games last week, last couple of weeks, and today was like what? Didn't last week he threw two one-yard touchdowns, and today Chris Carson had two one-yard touchdowns. Yeah, I mean that's that's the difference right there, right? Those easily could have just been easy play-action uh, touchdowns, and instead they were like handoffs. So like Russ was still really good. I told you, Chris, before we recorded, uh, Russ had uh, the, I love the the metric expected points added because it it adjusts for like the impact that these plays have on the game, like how many points you are adding uh, for your team based on the time score and the distance of the play. It's like a pick six is obviously like super negative. And then a touchdown pass is obviously like you scored six points for your team. Um, And so you look at Russ had like his second highest EPA of the year was today. It was higher than Dallas and higher than New, uh, New England, I think, because he was actually still really efficient today had one turnover-worthy play, just like he had one turnover-worthy play against New England. Like, uh, Russ was spectacular, man. I don't know what it does do for the MVP race. We're recording on Sunday night, so we kind of have to see what um, Aaron Rodgers does on Monday against a really bad Atlanta team. But And we have to see what Mahomes does on uh, Monday night against New England. But the way – I'll put it this way. Russ's headset went out after a, after a, a pass of Tyler Lockett. In the fourth quarter, the score was 17 to 15. All of a sudden, Russ can't hear Shoddy. Russ don't call timeout. Russ don't even huddle. I mean, maybe they huddle. But Russ doesn't like stop the game. 
let him know he needs a new helmet, he needs a new microphone. Russ is like, you know what? It's cool. I'll just call the plays from now on. Doesn't matter if Shadi can hear me or I can hear him. I'm the captain now. Look at me. <laughs> and they score a touchdown. And basically the game's over because they're up nine with like four minutes left. Yep. Like, that's MVP behavior right there, man. Like, everything else kind of doesn't even. The throws are one thing. Like, the throw to David Moore on the 30-yarder was crazy. The, the throw to David Moore for the touchdown was crazy. But honestly, Russ is being like, hey, I can't hear my OC. Ah, it's cool. Let me just call the plays myself. And we're just going to score a touchdown six plays later. Like, that dude is cooking. Yeah, and that just shows the trust that they have in Russ. Because I, I hate bringing this up. I really do. But I'm going to talk about the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Russ probably had an opportunity to call an audible. But he didn't. Because, A, I don't think he had that relationship built with that coordinator that he can flip a play and change it because he sees something that he doesn't like. But if you put Russ today back in time in that same scenario or in that game, I guarantee you Russ changes the play and the Seahawks score a touchdown and there's a different result. That just shows the growth with Russell Wilson and being that leader on the offensive end where if something goes wrong, oh, I got it. It's cool. Hey, we're going to run this. We're going to do this. That's where Russ has, has gotten just a – a much better football player and a quarterback and a team leader. And I think MVP-wise, he has to get a vote this season. I mean, if he don't get a vote, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'd be shocked. Russ is playing out of his mind, and it's the consistency. It's how he's doing it. I mean, he has, what, 16 touchdowns and one inter- two interceptions? I mean, that is crazy. He is on pace to have a record-breaking season for himself. Not all. I'm not, I don't think he's going to throw for 60 touchdowns or anything, but – I think he will end up throwing 40-plus touchdowns and end up with maybe seven interceptions for the for the season. That's where I expect Russ to be. And if that's the case, I mean, this is going to be a really scary team, especially if they do, in fact, get Philip Dorsett back, who's who's hurt with the hamstring injury, and then whatever happens with Josh Gordon. Yeah, I think – I don't know if Russ would have audibled in Super Bowl 49. I think he had the power to. I, I do think that Russ is a lot better in, like, tempo. Um, like out of timeouts and stuff, I think like it's pretty clear that he follows the rules. But like in that scenario, I think I have to go look at my notes. But I think the first play of the driver's headset went out today was I'm pretty sure a nine yard pass to Lockett, mm-hmm. and then the next and he just called like a like an inside handoff I think to uh, Chris Carson. So he's basically working with a first down uh, after that. So then he can just speed the tempo up. Yep. I think that's where Russ is a lot better. Like if you just ask Russ to call the first fifteen plays every week it probably wouldn't go that well to be honest but um i think when he's like in a rhythm and a groove like that um it, it's it's pretty good so I, I, w- I was encouraged i was encouraged by that but yeah, he was just it was just, he was just good today man like i don't know like again i don't know what a difference mvp campaign like believe it or not i think josh josh allen's in this conversation at the moment like i think he played really well today based on the numbers um correct me if i'm wrong on that and then like his team's four and oh as well yeah. yeah, Russ. Russ can't really. Russ can't be stopped consistently, and that's what you say about the good players. Like that's why I, I told the Dolphins on me today when we was at the bar. I was like, "What the hell is Brian Flores doing? Like, <laughs> why are you doing this Fitzpatrick thing? Like, you know, you know what you're gonna get at Fitzpatrick. One week he'll be good, another week he won't, and this will go back and forth. With Russ, the thing that's great about him is you know you're gonna get consistency over year to year, game to game. You're gonna get roughly the same type of output. I don't know if that's... I know that's not the case with someone like Fitzpatrick, which is why I say he stinks. 
So yeah, Russ is Russ is going to be consistent all year. Would you say, Chris, forty-eight touchdowns? Is that what you got it at right now? No, yeah, forty touchdowns and about seven or eight interceptions. That's where I have him at. That sounds about right. Forty-one sounds like a good number. That's probably where I would be at too. And that would probably win you MVP. So, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Russ, Russ is balling today, Chris. Uh, before we get to Twitter questions, I think it's the next thing we should probably go to. Um, the main thing today. The offense was not the lone star of the show. I'm going to give you one analogy, uh, another one, before we get to the questions. Like, you know how there's a movie, and it's like, you can't decide who's the star. Like, it'd be a co-star type of thing. Yeah. Like, that. Uh, I'm trying to think of a really bad movie where that's the case. Uh, Two Guns with Denzel and uh, Mark Wahlberg. I don't know if you've seen that. Classic. Like, I love it. <laughs> that, that, movie, that movie is actually really terrible. But... Um, <laughs> There's no star, right? Like Denzel wouldn't say I'm the star. Mark wouldn't say I'm the star. It was co-stars, right? Yep. And before today, all of their movies were like more like Denzel and Training Day, where Denzel is clearly the star of the movie and everyone else is just like a supporting character. Today was like a, a collaborative effort. And I think that's that was the biggest thing. When I, when I left the stadium today, I was like, that was a, you know how the, the, the players tweet like, great team win, we're 2-0, you know what I'm saying? Like, no. There's no team win when y'all beat the Patriots. That was Russ. <laughs> That's the five touchdowns. <laughs> That's why you guys won. Today, it was legit a team win. The first one of the season. Got it. I'm sorry, Mike. Before we get to Twitter questions, you said rhythm and groove. And there's a draft class that comes to mind that's has the rhythm and they have the groove. And that's a 2017 draft class with Ethan Posick, Shaquille Griffin, David Moore, and Chris Carson. And when I say those four names... They all, well, I don't, we, we haven't said anything negative about Ethan Posick on the offensive line. I'm not going to sit up here and act like I watch center play all game. I don't. But he hasn't been called out for, for holding. There hasn't been penalties. He hasn't given up sacks or anything. But Shaquille Griffin, David Moore, and Chris Carson, you know what? They played a hell of a game today, Mike. So we got to give a shout out to them, don't we? Yeah, I think the Seahawks haven't had a good draft class since 2012. Like, they've been really, really shaky since then. But I think you could make an argument that the 2017, because we maybe have to, on another pod, like, dive into what constitutes, like, a hit for a draft class or, like, what's a success for an entire class. But I think the 2017 class continues to show us that, you know, that was a, that was a successful draft. Yeah, Malik McDowell didn't work out. Like, yeah, Alex Magoo was a bad pick, right? But I think, I, I, I just think that, to get the production out of David that you're getting for the cost you're getting David. Remember, David restructured his deal. So David's basically making nothing, right? So David's making nothing. Chris Carson's the seventh rounder. Shaq's still on the rookie deal making like two million bucks. Like today, they got like four touchdowns on the guys who had like her aren't even costing them like nine million bucks total. Mm. Like it, it's 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 ridiculous. They had a thirty-five million dollar dude throwing a dude's making like nine million total. Like that's good GMing, I think. And you really only got to pay, what, one of them? So, yeah, I mean, this is one of those games where, of course, John Snyder's happy they won. He's cracking a beer, probably. But he really got to, like, light a light a little stogie with the, the dudes in the scouting department who, who grabbed that 2017 class. Like, hey, man, you got four starters. Like, David's, like, fringe. You got, like, four starters out of that class, man. That's... And they're all they're all sort of cheap right now, and none of them making nothing, right? <laughs> right? So like that, 
that that's a winning recipe when you have Russell Wilson making uh you know a bag. You have to have some cheap dudes around him. You got to have Russ throwing to some dudes who ain't making nothing. And when when he threw that pass to David Moore, I was like, he ain't making nothing. <laughs> and that's and like I want David to get a bag, but that's good for the team. Yeah, that's good for the team. But you did mention Twitter questions, and we got to get to them. We got quite a few tonight. We want to thank everybody out there for asking Twitter questions. We appreciate the love and support. Mike, are you ready to get this thing rolling? Yeah, man. You know, it's my favorite part of the show. Let's do it. To kick things off, this is from Arabella. No questions from me as my alarm didn't go off, so I missed the game. I've just watched the highlights. Just wanted to say thank you for your work. We appreciate you. We appreciate you for rocking with this, Arabella. Thank you so much. Appreciate the love. Our first question is from Ryan. Okay, is it time to pay that man Chris Carson? That guy deserves a raise for his blood, sweat, and tears. Keep killing it. Well, Mike, does Chris Carson deserve the bag? Okay, so here, here here's here's the thing. This, this isn't going to sound great. We have to talk about what we mean by when they say pay someone. Because... In the NFL, when we say pay, that term is synonymous most of the time with resetting the market. For We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Someone, and that is what you should absolutely not do in this case. However, you can extend Chris. I think that wouldn't be a bad move. It just has to be the right price. That's all. Like, I think Jay Reed's like in the middle of the pack for defensive tackles. Like, if you wanted to make Chris in the middle of the pack uh, for running backs, sure. Cool. But I think if you're talking about, like, top of the market, look at the market right now. Look at the Joe Mixon. Look at the Alvin Kamara. Look at the Christian McCaffrey's. You're not going to be able to do that. I mean, if you want to, fine. I just don't think that's, like, I don't think that's, like, a good use of your resources. And this, like, we could probably have a whole show on the running back dilemma. But, I mean, look at the Panthers right now. Like, how much worse is the Panthers offense substituting Christian McCaffrey with Mike Davis? Like, I love Mike Davis. 
right? But he's not Christian McCaffrey. Okay, but look at the Panthers' offense. How much worse did it get? You got one dude making like a million bucks, one dude making like 15, or he got an extension. Okay, how much worse did the offense get? Chris, I know you're not a big baseball guy, <laughs> but there's a stat called uh, wins above replacement. It's war. And they use it in the NBA too, but it's, it's much more popular in baseball. Um, war measures how, much, how many wins above a replacement level player your team provides, right? Running backs would probably have like a negative war. That means if you replaced your starting running back with a replacement level dude, you're, you're, you'd probably be like, oh, your team actually might even just get better. Like that's that's kind of where it's at with like running backs. So even though Chris is great, if they just drafted the next dude from Wisconsin or Auburn, they'd probably be just as just as good with spending like a fraction of the amount. So as much as I want Chris to get the bag, I think KJ Wright said it today. He's happy for Chris to get paid, whether it's there or somewhere else. I agree with KJ. I just think it'll be somewhere else. Okay. Next up, we have Scott Nelson. Should the Seahawks defense make changes to their scheme since it looks the same? They always get beat underneath and think they sh- and I think they should mix up their scheme so the offense doesn't know what's coming. This is something I think is like what happens when um, you only get the TV copy of the games. The Seahawks mix up their schemes and stuff pretty well. And honestly, you can't even really see the schemes on TV. Not to say that uh, whoever asks that question doesn't know football. It's just the idea that like the TV only shows you Russ, the line, and you know a couple linebackers or whoever's like lined up, you know, pretty tight to the formation for the most part. Like you can't see the safeties, you can't see who's retreating to, um, you know, which sides. I mean, Chris, you know football. The safeties tell you the coverage more than anything. You can't even see them (laughs) (laughs) at at the snap. Like think about that for a second. Yeah. Safeties usually tell you what the coverage is because that's who the quarterback reads when he when he drops back. He reads the safeties. So what he's reading, the, the the audience can't even see. So you're reliant on whoever was calling the game to show replays and highlight the things that you were supposed to see. But whoever the broadcast crew is, unless it's Collinsworth or the Monday Night Crew, or honestly, those are the only ones I trust. I kind of trust Romo, but the Seahawks don't play on CBS that much. Like, you don't see much. So I think the Seahawks scheme itself is about as good as you're going to get with the talent they have. I think we referenced the Joe Fan podcast like 10 times. You can't scheme up a top 10 defense. You can't. You just can't. You can, but you, you can, if you have top 10 talent, it'll work. The Seahawks, you can't scheme up excellence. They just have to, have to make plays. I think they will, but I don't think there's, there's only so much that like Ken Norton can do right now to make these guys like elite. Perfect. This one's from Elliot. Can we keep winning this way? It seems so unsustainable, but also very peak. Okay, yes and no. Can they keep winning? Yes. Can they keep winning like this? Sure. Will they win like this every week? No. Because football is a lot of moving parts. It's a chess. It's a chess match. Like a lot of it is beating the guy in front of you. It's almost like basketball. Like some of it is just the simple things. Like, sure, you can call it a great play, but if your if your tackle misses the block, okay, then it doesn't matter. Okay, you can call it a great play out of out of bounds in the NBA, but okay, if he misses the shot, then you can do. So, do I think the Seahawks can keep winning like this? Yeah, sure. Today was a complete win. Can they have complete wins? Absolutely. 
Um, will they? Mm, probably, probably not. Though I do think they'll they'll have a pretty good record by the end of the year. This one is from Brendo Pretendo. Do they have a higher upside getting the ball to DJ Dallas versus Homer? Should David Moore get more targets? Keep up the great work. Appreciate the love, man. I don't know if David needs more targets. I think he's one of those guys who just like, if you throw it to him, he'll catch it. And I think that's like, whatever target share he's getting is enough. Like there's other dudes on the team who need the ball too. Chris needs targets. Bisley needs targets. Greg Olson needs targets. He had a big, big catch. Um, DK needs a ton of targets. Tyler needs a ton of targets. Like Tyler and DK should be getting like double digit targets every game. There's 20 right there that I think they should get. Disney should probably get like four or five. Chris Carson should probably get like four or five. That's 30 right there. Like that. So, no to that part. And the other part, you know, I think DJ Dallas might be a better player than Travis. He might be. I don't know. Um, it's too it's too soon to tell. But I do like I do like the way DJ makes people miss. I think he's a lot shiftier um, than than Travis is. And you saw that on the uh, catch he had. So I don't know if you pass them on a depth chart. The answer is probably no to that question, actually. But man, DJ's good. He got some skills. He's gonna be something for sure. This one comes from Brady. Fitzpatrick seemed to pull a timely run for a first out of his ass far too often. How much of his rushing success would you attribute to veteran savvy versus blown defensive assignments? Also, love the pack, guys. Appreciate. Our perspectives. Appreciate the love, Brady. Um, some of it is is, is vet. Some of it's feel too. You like Chris? You ever hear so a coach be like he has good feel for the game? Some of it is just that. Yeah. Uh, you just gotta you gotta know when the rushing lanes open up, uh, when guys are out of their gaps. Um, I don't know if most people know this, but when you're in man coverage, you leave yourself open to QB runs quite often, actually, um, because your your defensive backs are turned away from the from the ball. So unless you have a spy, which they did a few times, then yeah, you're gonna give up. You're gonna give up some runs. So I think that it was a combination of things. One of those, this was crazy. I think I tweeted this. Shaquem was spying Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick ran at the gut, faked it, like a fake the throw, like Russ would do, and then ran for first down. That was actually pretty impressive. But I, I think it was mostly just like a good feel for the game. Fitzpatrick has a good feel. He just put up some like today was a stinker, man. No touchdowns, two picks. That's terrible. We didn't get Fitz Magic. The Seahawks got Fitzpatrick. This one's from Jason. Did DJ Dallas just pass Travis Homer on the running back depth chart? No, 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 no. It's like I mentioned earlier. I think Travis is still there. Travis is a good player too. Let me not make it seem like Travis is a bad player, man. Especially since I met his mom today at the stadium. Like I just bumped into her by the bathroom. That was crazy. But I don't. I don't think Chap's a bad player. I think DJ is gonna pass him eventually, but I think for now, Travis has that spot. For now, we'll see. This one's from James. What do you think the Seahawks' final record will be? We have to be looking at number one in the division for playoff preference. Dot 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 dot. Um, so I actually did the math on this today before the game. I think the Seahawks should sweep the NFC East. So that's four wins. They should go at least three and one in the AFC East. So that's seven and one. All right, right there, just in terms of uh, non-division games. 
And then I think they should beat both of the other second place teams from last year. So that'd be Minnesota and Atlanta. So that's nine and one right there. Right? So I think they go three and three in the division. So they probably beat everyone and lose to everyone. So that'd be twelve and four. I don't know how that sounds to you, Chris, but that's the math I did before the game today, actually. I was thinking about it while Dallas was getting smoked. Um, <laughs> I was like, the NFC East is garbage. Like, even now I'm watching Philly. Well, Philly's going to be in first place if they win this game, and they're they're going to be 1-2-1. One, and one. Gross. Like, that's, that's insane. So, yeah, no, I think that's the math I'm doing. So when I've had 12-4, that's what I'm expecting. A loss probably to, like, Buffalo or something, who's a good team, and then – Three and three in the division, and I know that sounds disappointing, but I still think this division is really good. I know the Niners are getting dusted; and they're on the third string quarterback. Remember, they're on the third string quarterback with all these injuries too. So I think it'll eventually even out in the NFC West, even with the the Cardinals at like what Cardinals are two and two. Like it'll even out. This one comes from the homie over in London, Shaquem and Alton making plays, but with minor snap counts. Who or what dictates that? Despite clear impact, is that something that Ken is handling? Ken Norton, that is, or is it Pete Curl? Uh, this is a good question from Stu. Shout out to homie Stu over across the pond. This is something I'm gonna ask Pete Curl about uh, this week because I've actually been wondering that as well. My guess, and this is I'm gonna be transparent, I don't know the answer to the question. My guess is that the the game plan is mapped out during the week by everyone with Pete Carroll giving the final say. And then the position coaches have like a level of discretion over particular snaps. So for the running backs, I'm sure Chad Morton has most of the control behind like how many times we're going to run it to Chris. And then I think like on the D line, Clint hurt has the discretion how many times are we going to play Alton versus Shaquem or how many, where, when's Jay Reed in, when's Anthony Rush in. And then situations dictate that too. Like they have personnel packages based on the situation. So that matters as well. Like to, today, if the Dolphins weren't in a bunch of third and longs, then Shaquem wasn't going to play a lot. That's just kind of how that goes. And if they were in a bunch of like third and shorts, then you're going to see a lot more Brian Monet's, Anthony Rush's, you know, things like that. But my guess is that those guys have some discretion tight end coach too with the rotation of Disley Wilson and, and, and Olsen and the same thing with the receivers with Nate Carroll like okay he's probably in control of like how many snaps is DK in like this what protection this this and that like some of it depends on the, the, the situation I think some of it is the assistant coaches with Pete Carroll having like some override power but ultimately I don't think that he's making the call on like oh hey Freddie Swain get in like I don't think that's our last question comes from Mark. Why is Cody Barton starting ahead of Shaquem Griffin? Um, I mean, I, th- I think he's a better player for for sure. Like, I think I think he's also more capable of playing the weak side linebacker role that Cody was playing. Like, if you guys noticed today, and I, I, I wrote about this a little bit in the Athletic this morning, um, Monday morning that is, where you guys li- listening to this. Cody was starting at weak side linebacker today. He was not starting at strong side linebacker. Like he wasn't the the the, the Bruce fill-in. The Bruce fill-in was was KJ. And then on passing downs, KJ came in and played weak side and Cody left and Ugo came on the field. But it wasn't a case of like, oh, Cody's a new strong side. So I think 
part of that is due to the fact that Shaquem's more of a rusher, and part of it, he's just a better player at the off-ball linebacker position. I think even Shaquem would acknowledge Shaquem's a good spy and he's a good rusher because both of those positions require speed. Cody's a good player because he diagnoses things and he hits hard as hell. So I think they're just two different players, and I think Cody is ultimately the better one. Perfect. We want to thank everyone out there for asking Twitter questions. We appreciate the love and support. This has been another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We want to thank you all for rocking with us. Mike, is there anything you want to add before we shake? Um, Just for, for what it's worth, the game is going to be over by the time we are done recording. The Niners game is not done yet by the time we're recording right now. Like I'm watching, there's like 30 seconds left. So I don't know if anything we said will be out of, out of, out of touch by the time it, it comes on. But, yeah, man, appreciate you guys listening to us. I have fun in Miami. Uh... We're going to bring another late time show, late night show next Sunday when the uh, Seahawks play the Vikings. Can't wait. Uh, we'll catch you guys during the week. We're going to preview that with your favorite Seahawks Twitter follow uh, up in Minnesota. Got the homie coming on on, on uh, Tuesday. So, man, can't wait to drop that, man. We out. Time to your bag and the time.